Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Psalms 132. Remember, this coming Wednesday is, uh, to our estimation, Sister McGee's, my wife's last Sunday for speaking about marriage. Along the, along the lines of the love and respect venue that she was last week. That World Missions Conference coming up on Friday. Again, there is something on the bulletin board if you want to go. I'll drive you there. I'm going there myself. I got to leave at 4.15 on Friday in order to get there in time and the time difference. So if you're interested, you can sign up. I will get you there. Get you there. Amen. Psalms 132. I want to begin with verse number, verse number one. The Bible says, Lord, this is, this is David's plea of his heart. Lord, remember David. And all his afflictions, how he swore unto the God, unto the Lord rather, and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into thy tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes, or slumber to mine eyelids. Everybody say, until I find out a place for the Lord. The habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. David says, Lord, remember me. I got afflictions. I think this is, I'm probably preaching my sermon right here in five minutes. Lord, remember me. I have afflictions. But God, I want you to know that I'm not going to give slumber to my eyes. I'm not going to go to my house and rest until I find a place for you. Now, this is a man that's saying this, that does, life just isn't going his way right now. Everything's just not well in hunkadori with David's life. He has afflictions, but he's, there's still something that's brewing within the heart and soul of David that says, even in spite of all the afflictions, I still need to find a place for God. It's important that I find a place for God. And I want to talk about a place for God this morning we need to find a place for God I love you Jesus this morning God I'm grateful today grateful today that you've allowed me to wake up this morning you've allowed me Lord Jesus to bring breath into my lungs and exhale it God from there I pray oh Lord Jesus God I would be Lord lying to say God that everything's okay Lord in my own personal affairs in life today but God, I've come on this Sunday morning to find a place for you. Come on this Sunday morning, Lord Jesus, to find a place for God, a habitation for that mighty Lord of Jacob. I pray, oh God, today, let your spirit, Lord, prick us in our hearts and Lord, bring our minds to attention. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It's the month of March. may be seated this morning you may be seated this morning it's always interesting to read the Psalms 
because in doing so, it's almost as though we have a behind-the-curtain view into the thoughts, the thoughts, the feelings of David. His, his pinning of the Psalms allows us into his, his personal life. It's not just a writing of what he had done, but it's even the writing of what he thought, what he pondered what he entertained and so it's peculiar in that particular mode and it's here that in this private time of David's life of even talking to God and having conversation to God that David in in many ways is vowing a vow unto God he's making a plea unto the Lord and and has purposed something in his heart he's purposed something within his heart and within his mind and that purpose was this he wanted to find out a place a place, as verse number 5 says, for the Lord. It further denotes that he would find a, a habitation or a dwelling place more particular for God. David has taken this up as his, his uh, project, if you will. He's taken this up as, as something that he's putting as a priority in his life. He's made it his point of interest. Because he has the greatest of intentions right now in Psalms 132 to bring this habitation or this dwelling place, this, this place, this niche, if you will, for God about, particularly in his own life. And so he has all of his, his frame of mind and mindset turned toward this very honorable mission, and it is an honorable mission. I believe you would be able to agree with me today that this is a very honorable mission for someone to find a place for God. Find a place for God. More importantly, I think if we could get a little closer, find a place for God in your life. Find a place for God in your life. And he states how uh, emphatically that I'm not going to go to my own home. I'm not going to my own house, that thing that's very personal to me that I can call my own. And I'm not going to lay down upon my bed and I'm not going to give my mind or my body or all the energy that I have any rest until I find a sufficient place, a sufficient place for God. I believe David might even been relaying to the readers this is that I don't know if I could rest. I don't know if it would be possible for me to give slumber to my eyes or lay down and repose upon my bed if I knew I haven't made a place for God. Amen. He couldn't possibly enter into his dwelling place knowing that God was in need, if you will, of a dwelling place. He couldn't be comfortable or at ease without knowing that God would have a place. David, we know throughout the scriptures that David always had a mind frame toward this to a certain degree. The Ark of the Covenant and the Old Testament that, that was nothing more but a representation of the presence of God. The very presence revered as the very presence of God. David had no doubt some of his mind toward that Ark of the Covenant which was the only semblance, if you will, of God's presence that they had during this hour. Thinking perhaps, what, where, where can I find a place for that, that chest, that Ark of the Covenant, to rest and to be? Turning his ideas toward that because that Ark of the Covenant had traveled from place to place. 
during wilderness journeys. It was carried, and it, just as the children of Israel were a nomad, so was the Ark of the Covenant a nomad. It, it went where they went. At times, they would take it to battle, and it would dwell whenever they pitched the tent of the tabernacle. It would dwell in that, in that temporary setting, in that temporary residence. And so it had been with them all along their wilderness journey, and it would rest and stop every time that they would stop, and they would go whenever it was time to go. And, and the Levites would, would, would be carried it and, and, and just to its next destiny, to its next place where it would pause that Ark of the Covenant, that presence of the Lord. David might have been thinking upon his predecessor Saul who was a king prior to him how the Bible states very plainly that during the reign of Saul that not even Saul himself or anybody under his command as it would seem troubled themselves with the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody seemed to trouble themselves with the ark of God. In other words, they really didn't care where it was or if it had a place or not. They really care where it was or if it had a place or not. And they weren't concerned with it. They weren't concerned with where the presence was or what the presence was doing, so on and so forth. And so David, with that being what preceded him, makes it his mission makes it his obligation that I must be concerned about the presence of the Lord. I see what happened to my predecessor. I see the road that he went down with no concern for that. So I'm going to make it a concern of mine to be concerned about the presence of the Lord and the Ark of the Covenant. As a matter of fact, David was so concerned he got in his mind and his heart, I would really like to build a house for the Ark of God. I would really like to build a house for the presence of the Lord. And we know, some of us do, the story that David, though, was told by Isaiah that he would not be able to build the house of the Lord. Amen. Samuel even came in and spoke to him. This wasn't going to be a capability. But your son Solomon is going to be able to build a house for the Lord. And so... We understand that when David was not able to do this, not able to house this ark, not able to house this presence of the Lord and build something for it, he understood though, and Scripture even attests the same, that even to try to do something like that was kind of a real far-fetching thing because God's presence, God's presence and His, His power beyond the representation of that ark, His presence is really something that's hard to house. When you consider that the heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool, it seems to be a little difficult to really put all of that in one place. Amen. For he's the word, he's the Lord of glory. Amen. Scripture bears it out again and again how difficult it might be to provide such a place for the presence of the Lord. Amen. As I said, the heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. First Kings 8:27 says, How much less this house that I have builded thee can God indeed dwell here on the earth? Second Chronicles 2 and 6, the Bible says, But who is able to build him a house? Seeing the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I then that I should build him a house and save only to burn sacrifices before him? This is a, different, a difficult matter, David, that you've taken on your shoulders. Psalm 66 and 1, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me and where is the place of my rest? We see it again echoed in the New Testament of Acts chapter number 7. The Bible says, but Solomon built him a house. How be it the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands 
as saith the prophet. Again, the heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? And so David has a dilemma on his hands. He has a very, very great idea. He has, a, 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 if you will, some compassion and love toward the presence of God. But the dilemma that he was facing is this. How can I find a place for God? Something so vast. Something that feels all, all time and all space. How can I find a place for God? How can I, how can I fit all of that in? And I understand today, probably more so than any other day or generation of our time, people, church people, lost people, had the very same dilemma on their hands. They're trying to find out how they can fit God. How they can fit God in their time slots. How they can fit God in their schedule. How they can fit God among all the other activities that they got going on. How they can fit God in the busyness of their lives and the demands of work and the demands of family and the demands of activity. Trying to find out how they can fit God in all these other agendas. But here's the fact of the matter this morning. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. Amen. It'd be great to have those that are not here here. But just hear me out today. Here's the how you get it done. You put God there and then you build everything else around God. You place God in the schedule and you schedule everything else around God. You make God priority and you make everything else side priorities of God. That's how it goes. If you're trying to fit him in or squeeze him in, it will not work. It will not happen. Most days will go out without any accomplishment of getting God in your life. But if you put him there first and if you make him priority, other things can just be built around that. And the truth of the matter is, if they happen, they happen. If they don't, they don't. But I need a place for God. Someone say amen. amen. I have a career, Brother McGee. God bless you. I'm pursuing, I'm pursuing a career. God bless you. I have a family. God bless you. I'm trying to manage that. Great. I have a house. God bless you. I have other things I'd quote unquote like to do. God bless you. But whenever you come to the end of that list, is there still a place for God? Is there still a place for God? If we would come to the understanding that He holds our next breath, would you still have a place for God? If we could remember that the forming and the shaping of you and your mother's womb was because of him, would you still have a place for God? If you realize the food that's upon your table isn't just because of the work you did, but it was because of God, would you still have a place for God? Would you understand that your 70 years on this earth are just a vapor fleeting and vanishing away, but there's more life beyond the grave than there is before the grave? Would you still have a place for God? I think I've come to the understanding. I know lives are busy. Great, they are. There's more things you can be involved in. People have created things. There's more things you can be involved in. And I've heard it said from the old timers to now. How was it that they were capable to, you know, make it the service, do this and that back then? And it's less likely now. 
Here's the thing. And there might be more things to be involved in. But here's the thing. It's because they made God the agenda. They made God the agenda. That took priority. That was the top rung of the ladder. They made God the agenda. I don't see how in the world they could do all that. I tell you how. Because they made God the agenda. Everything else fit in around that. Farmers left the plow in the field to get to church. I'm telling you right now, and you can quote me on this because I've done it before. If I have a water break at my house, I'm turning the water off and I'm coming to church. Because in the real grand scheme of things, what's an extra hour and a half waiting on that? What's an extra hour and a half? It's not, I'm not going to... It's not going to change the dynamics of my life to have my water off at my house for an hour and a half while I'll come here and raise my hands and worship and listen to preaching and then go back home and try to contend with that and eat. And even if I can't get to it till the next day, the next evening, I surely have some family around here I can lean on and they'll allow me to house or shower at their house in order to get to it. But there's one thing, folks, you don't need to sacrifice on or err on, and that is keeping God out of the equation. I know. Oh, brother, you're being stout this morning. So, folks, I'm getting serious. What was handed to us was something great, but we have diluted it. We diluted it. Some of y'all's parents and grandparents would not do some of the stuff that you all pulling. No, no, no. Some of my grandma and grandpa's, they wouldn't pull some of the stuff that this generation calls. They wouldn't call me and say they couldn't make it because of that. Because you know what? God was the agenda. They're going to be at the house of the Lord. They're going to give. They're going to give of their time. They're going to give of their ability. They're going to give the resources. Why? They understood the necessity of making a place for God in their life, in their home, in their family, in their work. Amen. Some, unlike David, can close their eyes at night, put their head on the pillow, and not lose any rest over not making a place for God. And you are walking a scary, a scary edge. To go on with your life as business as usual without making any place for God and feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. Because folks, I don't like even to miss one service. Even if I'm sick as a dog. Because that's like, well, pa Brother McGee, you're the pastor, and that's what your life should be. My life hasn't always been pastor. My life hasn't always been evangelist. But there were times I was the workman that got up and, you know, had to be to work by 6, and that was in Evansville, so that meant getting up around 4.30 or 4. And my 10-hour days were 12-hour days because of the commute. 
and whenever I was going to get off from work late, but I still knew I could make it for some church. Whether it's halfway through the sermon, I was showing up here, not home. But what I hear today is I've already worked 12 hours. I really need to home, go home and get my rest. Let me tell you, I rest a whole lot better when I know if I just had 30 minutes of a service left to go there, I slept better at night. It's not popular, but I wasn't going for the popularity vote. God needs a place. The King of Glory needs a place. Amen. There isn't really, if you think about it, he's so vast, he fills all space and all time. There is not necessarily a set apart amount of time or a, a, a space in your life that will house him properly in essence. There's no way that that can happen. Even every good deed that I would try to do towards him, amen, all of these things, all the time that I would try to wait towards him, it, it, it truly could not properly house God. But it should not keep me from at least trying. He needs a place. He needs a habitation. And here's the funny thing about God. He don't like to cohabitate with anybody else. He's not a cohabitator. He's not like, if you share that part of the room, I'll share this part. We'll split the bills down half. <laughs> he doesn't like to cohabitate. He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He doesn't wish to share a room with anybody else. He doesn't wish to share any time with anybody else. He's a jealous God. He desires a place. He desires a spot in your life all by himself. For that matter, who could share a spot with someone that's so vast? I'm already busting buttons up here. God's replied to David. About wanting to build a house for the Lord was this in Second Chronicles 6 and 8. There's a phrase there. He says, for as much as it was in thine heart to build a house for my name, David, thou didst well that was in thine heart. You're not going to be able to do this, David. But it was well that it was in your heart. David, you did well. David, you've done better than some. Because at least you've entertained the idea of it. Your predecessor even didn't concern himself about it. But David, at least you considered the idea of it. It hasn't been far from your heart to give even consideration to it. He says, David, for your generation and culture is a rarity. Someone say amen. To truly give attention to having, having let God have a place in our life. It's a rarity for our day. Truly giving him a place. Truly giving him a place. The church has become a show social club. All the elbow rubbers and people that may be of some priority in your community, if they go to a certain church, that's where you go because that's the social thing to do. It's a social club. It's another place that people meet to discuss business. To discuss entertainment. Well, God, you go help me, aren't you? To dis discuss entertainment, it's just become another social club. He said, it's a rarity, David, for someone to allow me into their life that really want me into their life. That just doesn't want another venue where they can rub shoulders with others, but they want to rub shoulders with me. 
Someone say amen. We're too indulged. Someone say too indulged. Too indulged in ourselves. Too indulged in what I need. Many years ago they did a study that the number one request on the American prayer lines across America was for unsaved loved ones. People were calling into these hotlines and they were asking for those on the opposite end for prayer for their unsaved loved ones. Within a year's time, that changed drastically. Their number one request went from healing for their loved ones or for their unsaved loved ones, rather, to healing for themselves. And number two was that they might have prosperity. You see the shift? It went to thinking about somebody else to thinking about themselves. It went from thinking about their unsaved loved ones to thinking about what can I do. Unsaved loved ones, by the way, drunk to number eight on the list. Because now people were too self-absorbed. They were worried about their finances, their prosperity, and worried about their own health. Then they were worried about somebody that didn't know God. Because that just shows to me the very theme of America, the very theme of humanity as it were. People are more concerned about their needs and their wants and things going their way. And if it's going to work out for them, then they are anybody else. And they're for sure not concerned about the God of glory. Honey, I'm telling you, God needs a place. God wants a place. And we need a you out a place in our lives for the needs and the wants of God. He told David, he said, you make me a house. So you, it was in your heart to do this. He said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you a house. Look. He said, this is just not God building David a literal house. Whenever he said, I'll make you a house, you know what he's telling David? I'm going to build you a family. Sons, daughters, offspring to carry on your name. For that matter, to carry on the promise that there will be a king someday that will come from the line of David that will cure all these ills. I'm going to make you a family. Someone say amen. I'm going to make you... A house. So here's David. Psalms 132. He's had sleepless nights. He's worn out because he's trying to make a pursuit. For I'll tell you what. We'll wear ourselves out in a lot of different endeavors. We will. We'll sweat over a lot of... I remember whenever I was a young kid in this church. Just a young kid. Me and Jeremy Penrod. Sometimes on Sunday afternoons. We'd play basketball out at his mom's house. We go out there, we play ball, we'd shoot, we would sweat. I mean, we would sweat. And, you know, of course, get showered before church and such. But we would come to church. I remember whenever I was just a young man, you know, it was just like those early years of preaching. You all know I'm talking about around 12 years old. And I remember going into one of those services on that Sunday night, Sister Jessup. And this is when I think we still had testimony service. And I remember, I remember this very plain that's always stuck in my heart and mind. And I said something to the effect, I've been out on a basketball court today. Sweat and play in basketball. And I don't want to do anything less in God's presence tonight. What are you saying? I'm saying we'll give a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of enthusiasm to a lot of different things. But whenever it talks about God, whenever it talks about His Word, and whenever it talks about His house, honey, we'll not break a sweat. We'll not lift a voice. We'll not crane an elbow or an arm. We'll not... 
There's people that will stay up late because a special show is on that they like on TV, but they can't stay five minutes past 11.30 on Sunday morning. Listen, you need to make a place for God. needs a place so David's worrying himself he's fretting himself and in the same chapter just a few verses later in verse 13 Psalms 132 and verse 13 the Bible says for the Lord hath chosen Zion he hath desired it for his habitation God says this is my rest forever here will I dwell for I have desired it he says the location he said, my place is Zion. That was a very real, physical location. But Zion in God's word also has a spiritual connection. A spiritual application as well. Because although Zion was a real, physical place, the spiritual application or mirror of Zion in the natural is in the spiritual. Zion was typical of the church. It's high desire Zion that will be my habitation that will be my rest forever Zion or if you will on the spiritual side the church I want to say the church so that'll be my habitation <clears throat> that'll be my rest forever in the Greek the word for church is ecclesia it's the word from which we get such words as ecclesiastical and so on. The very use of this word gives us a very good insight to some definition of what the church is or who the church is. The word ecclesia has a little bit of a double background to it concerning its meaning. First of all, it has a Jewish background to it. When we read in the Old Testament, especially in the books of Exodus and the books of Numbers, the story of the journey of the children of Israel across the wilderness and through its wilderness times ever now, and the, um, the children of Israel would assemble together to listen to what words Moses had to speak to them from God. Or rather, if you will, to listen to some word of God which God had sent through his man. And when they were gathered together and came together for the purpose of hearing that, the Bible regularly talks of the congregation of Israel. It speaks to them as being the congregation of Israel. But that word congregation, Old Testament Translation of the Hebrew to the Greek, that word for congregation is the word ecclesia. Therefore, first and foremost, the word ecclesia describes a group of people who are listening for a word from God. A group of people that's gathered together to hear a word from God. That's the church. That's where God said, I desire to inhabit. That's where I'll be forever, where the people come together to hear a word. Amen. Someone say amen. A word from God. And I think the motive is important because that was the reason for the children of Israel's gathering. It was to hear a word. That's what constitutes the congregation. That's what constitutes the church. What are you saying there, Brother McGee? I'm saying gathering together doesn't just constitute that by itself. 
coming together doesn't just constitute that by itself. Coming to see somebody else, that doesn't make you the church. Coming in just to hear the music, that doesn't make you the church. Coming in just to feel a slot on your calendar, that doesn't make you a church. But what makes you the church is when you come together to hear a word from the Lord. It's not coming together to hear me talk. It's coming together to hear heaven talk. It's coming. Because I could care less if you hear me. But if you can hear something that the Spirit is saying. If you can hear something that God is portraying. Then that changes the whole dynamics of us being here. Amen. Christianity, whenever we got into the New Testament. It went out to Palestine. Came into the Greek world. There is again this word, Ecclesia, had quite a different meaning in the New Testament than what it had in the Old Testament. In the Greek world, in the New Testament, Ecclesia was not a religious word at all. It was more so a political word. The Ecclesia of a Greek city was the governing body of the city. Ecclesia was the governing body of the city. And so now the Greeks had what seems to us the oddest form of government, but they had really the only true democracy, and that is... Uh, the governing body of the city, like at Athens, was in fact every citizen who possessed a vote. Every citizen possessed a vote. And so whenever they would come together and they would form a committee, that meant 23,000 people in the city then were coming together to form this committee. And they all had a vote. Now here's the thing. Obviously, not all 23,000 always showed up when there was a gathering. Does someone say amen? Not all 23,000 always showed up when there was a gathering. But what happened was this. The ecclesia, that governing body, would meet several times a year. As a matter of fact, it would meet 12 times. It would meet once a month uh, in a year. And before it was due to meet, before it was due to meet, they would send out a herald. They would send out a crier in the city, going through the city, saying, The Ecclesia will be meeting at such and such time, at such and such place, on such and such day. And you are requested to be there. Because you're an individual. If you show up, you got to vote. You're asked to be there. But what the Ecclesia really boiled down to was well, not those 23,000 that had the opportunity to vote. But the Ecclesia was in fact those who showed up and accepted the invitation. I've been doing a lot of calling here lately on people that's been gone. Mike Hurst, I need your number. We don't have a right number on you. I've tried calling you. have been unable to get a hold of you. I'll take care of business here this morning. I'm telling you right now, I feel the Holy Ghost on me. Amen. I, we, 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 I, I, there are over 40 names. You listening to me? There are already over 40 names that was on the absentee list from last Sunday. The Herald gets cried and everybody should know that we meet here Sunday morning, Sunday night. Sunday, and if you don't know, here's, here's, here's the Herald right now. Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Sunday night at 6 p.m. Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We get the word out whenever the youth are doing things on Friday night. Brother and Sister Malone let us know. We can let your kids know when we're here on Friday nights. The word gets out. But what makes up the Ecclesia? 
what makes up the church isn't the should be close to 80 or 85 people that supposedly if you put those that were there with those that are present the 85 people we should have here but it's you that show up God said Zion the church is what I desire Zion the church is where I'll make my rest forevermore but you're not the ecclesia if you're not here You're not the Ecclesia if you're not here. And I got, I, I don't know, I guess I'm pastoring today and that's okay. That's my calling. That's where I'm at. But listen to me very plainly. We have made, we have made allowances here at the church and I think there is wisdom in that. We have made allowances that if you're sick and you got fever, it is wisdom that you stay home. But let me tell you what has happened. People have used then that as a crutch for everything. Listen to pastor today. We have brought the allowance that if you're sick, you need to stay home. People then will stay home over a sniff. They'll stay home over a cough. They'll stay, let me tell you, I went to church, I don't know how many times, as a kid, sick with fever, and I was healed by the time I went home. Somebody don't want to hear that in today's society, but I don't know how. I know my dad getting up from bed, sick, going to church and preaching, and then going home and being sick again, but he was fine as long as he was behind the pulpit. I'm asking you today, why do we let a little snotty nose or a little headache or a little ache this or ache here keep us home from church? Sometimes I think we've opened the door. You know how many times in six years of evangelizing, preaching almost every night of the week that I missed ever going to the pulpit? Once. I'm talking about preaching every bit of seven days. Six, let's see here, one, two, three, five. Six days, two, twice on Sunday. For six years. You hearing me? Missed once. I've been real tempted here lately. Send you all your own absentee record at the end of the year so you can see in black and white oh that's how many times I was at church and how many times I wasn't yeah yeah I don't, I don't know we gotta find a place for God I, I preached it early on in, in January we can't, we can't get the world convinced if the church isn't convinced and we can't get them to show up if the church doesn't show up Years ago, we had a person in our church invite somebody to church, wanted them to come to church with them. When they got to church that next service, that person wasn't there. Now, what does that speak? Huh? Come to church with me. Next time I'm at church, they're not there. Well, this must really be a good church for them. It's like me referring you to a doctor I won't go to. Someone say yes. We need to find, whenever we have more absent, and that's the way it's been. When we have more absent than we have present, that's the way it's been. I can tell you, I've been monitoring it close here lately. We've been having more absent than we have present. Brother McGee, there's sickness. I understand there's sickness and there's this and that and the other. But you know what? You know what? An hour and a half of your time, by and large, if you show up right when church starts and leave right whenever it's over, an hour and a half of your time. Woo! 
But it don't, it don't keep you. It don't keep you from watching NCIS at home, drinking your Coke on your couch with your headache. If you're tired, an hour and a half of your time. Hour and a half of your time. Does someone hear me? Hour and a half of your time. Listen, you can get some good sleep while you sit and listen to me preach because I see people nod off all the time. You'd sleep here just as well, you'd sleep at home. There needs to be some blessing that's going out here too, Brother Terry. But the Ecclesia are those that accept the invitation and show up. That's what it is. I know this is strong. This is strong meat today. If you come for Gerber style and some strained green beans, forget it. This is steak and it's got a lot of fat on it. Amen. Because let me tell you, I don't have time to stand before heaven someday and give, give, if you will, account for everybody that had a, a snotty nose and a headache and, and a little ankle that was hurting. They had a, a, a blister on the bottom of their big toe. I don't have time to stand before God someday at judgment and say, Lord, here's my report concerning the people that I serve. They couldn't show up for church because of this, 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 and this. And the Bible says, pray that I can do it with joy and not with sorrow because that would not be good for you. Be unprofitable. I don't have time to wait till judgment day to tell the story. I got to tell the story now. I got to ring the bell now. I got to be a herald now. We got to be the church. We must be the church. And we must phone out a place for God. We must. And here's why, here's why things like that... Now, and I'm telling you what, I, I just had live cereal today and maybe I shouldn't have. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know why in our minds we believe we can step on and get by with things in the church that we wouldn't anywhere else? Because we don't get paid anything to come to church. Because see, this is a voluntary basis, me showing up. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But see... We all really wrong. There is payment. It's just being withheld till a certain day. The man that doesn't get paid weekly but gets paid monthly, he doesn't throughout that month say, well, you know what, I'm not getting no payment. No, he realizes there is a payment day. Yeah. But we get in this mentality concerning church. Well, I don't get paid for going there. They don't do anything for me. Honey, you've already skipped out on all the fringe benefits that he loadeth you down daily with as being a child of God. You have got tunnel vision and have missed the big picture. So the second definition of the church, the church are composed of those people that accepted the invitation and showed up. So then the double definition of the church... It's a church or a group of people that's listening for a word from God. And it's a group of people that have showed up and accepted the invitation to be there. You know what that tells me? Then by and large, the church is not 
these beams we see, the carpet we see, the, the paneling or drywall that we have, whatever we do around here, a new men's bathroom, that's not the church. The church are the people. Let this building dissolve and burn to the ground. We'd still have a church. Because you can read the New Testament from start to finish and you will never find that the word church described a building. The church was always describing the people. Matter of fact, in the days of the early church, they had no quote-unquote building such as a church. Yeah, they had their synagogues, and there were many of them. But before there was ever a Jewish synagogue, so to speak, they were, they were meeting in houses and homes. Church buildings, per se, didn't even come from around like 200 A.D. That's whenever a church building actually came. The people were the church. A lot of the preaching took place in the streets and in the alleys and, and they met in rooms where people just slightly areas larger than houses or even smaller than them and they would show up and they had a church because of the people that gathered to hear a word from God and came at the invitation and accepted it. They had them a church and God said that's where I'll inhabit. Yeah, That's the reason why whenever we've had service out in the open air on the parking lot God showed up. Why? Because his church was there. That's the reason why when we go uptown and sing Ag Day, some of you could feel the spirit of the Lord there. Why? God showed up. His church was there. That's the reason why when we was on the south end of town or at the city park doing our praise and in the park, God show up and you say, my, I feel the Holy Ghost. And we're not at 1121 Cedar Street. You know why? Because his church was there. And he said, that's where my rest is. That's where I'll be forevermore. That's my place. The people... Bible says in Ephesians 2 19 and I'll probably cut through some of this because I'll keep you out of overtime now therefore ye are no more strangers speaking to the church at Ephesus the Gentiles as it were that had been Gentiles now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple unto the Lord. What building fitly framed is he talking about? He's not talking about wood and stone. He's talking about the people. You people are the building fitly framed together, and you grow. This is not a building that you make per a certain dimension and it's always at the dimension. This building, because it's made up of people, this church, because it's made up of people, has the ability to mature and grow unto a holy temple in the Lord. Look at verse 22. In whom ye also are builded together, what? For an habitation of God through the Spirit. David said, I want to find a place for the Lord. But see, that's Old Testament before Christ. Christ was only with them at that moment and not in them at that moment. But past Calvary, Christ that went with them could now be in them. He said, now I have a habitation. It's called the church. It's called the people. 
David's not going to rest until it happens. I'm going to have a habitation. But Paul says there is. There is in this day. It's the individual lives. It's the individual people that's come to hear the word of the Lord. That's accepted, if you will, the invitation of God. And the Bible says that our great God fills all things. Yet all things cannot contain him. Yet there's that wondrous miracle that it is Christ in us. The New Testament scripture says the hope of glory. God wishes for a place. He desires a place to possess it. And here's the fact of the matter. It's your life and my life. Hebrews 3, 6, a little phrase there. But Christ as a son over his own house. Look, whose house we are. Roxanne and Bob's gross. You're God's house. The Whitney family, y'all's God's house. Ryan Roberts, you are God's house. Just as much as anybody that stands here on this platform, you all are God's house. Amen. The apostle stated like this in 1 Peter 2 and 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Ephesians 4, 4 says it like this. There is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is above all and through all and in you all. God's not worried about the wood. He's not worried about the fabric. He's not worried about the concrete. He's not worried about the sheep rock. He's not worried about the size of nails or screws. He's not worried about any of that. He said he would not dwell in temples made with hands. Now we know he visited several of them. He visited the tabernacle in the wilderness. He visited the temple of Solomon. The cloud came by down and they could not even stand to minister. He visited Zerubbabel's temple. He visited Herod's temple. He visited all these makeshift temples that were made by hands. He came down and visited them. But he said, I cannot dwell in the things that have been made with the hands of men. I desire something different. And it's people. New Testament scripture says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now watch this. Why is it that God will dwell in us, but he won't dwell per se in a building made by the hands of men? Because the first man made, Adam, was made from the dust of the ground by what? The hands. Does someone hear me? By the hands of God. Whenever God made man, God made his own temple. When God made man, God made his own temple. When God breathed his breath into his nostril and became a living soul, God made his own temple. That's the reason why his church, his dwelling place, his habitation is you. Rather than some grand cathedral or some building by 200 by 200. No, it's the people because that's the temple God made himself. stand with me I'll hasten to a close I'm sorry he said in 2 Corinthians 6 16 and I'm closing 
And what agreement hath the temple of God? Again, he's not talking about a physical location of wood, stone, and brick. He's talking about our lives. And what agreement hath the temple of God? With idols. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them. And walk in them. The great thing I like about God, he doesn't just dwell in me, but he's active in me. He walks. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Here's the thing. Anybody ever seen an eviction notice take to the front door of a house? Hmm? I've been by some of those just kind of, you know, see yellow or orange, some bright color paper and thing. And the yard looked kind of unkept anyway, so I kind of walked up. I mean, nosy as humanity is, kind of walked up and said, what is that? Oh, such and such date evicted, no longer allowed in this, on this premises or in this house. Yards growing up, things are kind of looking a little. Mm. Whenever we allow other things to take priority in our life, you have put the eviction notice Serve the eviction notice to heaven on your heart. And then basically let God know you're not welcome here. And let me tell you something. Brother Gross, I know this was surety. You leave a residence without a resident. You hearing me? You leave a residence without a resident. Shingles start to come loose on the roof. Grass gets high. Barmits start to invade the space the picture perfect that it was when it had a resident you're thinking how in the world can it go from this to that I'll tell you why it lacks an owner whenever we evict the Lord of glory from our life and we push him second shelf third shelf we push him out of our agenda that's so important your life in many ways mirrored the very same image as a house that has no resident Things will start cropping up in your life that wasn't there before. Things will start to dilapidate in your life that was kept and maintained before. Because you've decided, you know what, I, I'm really trying to fit him in, but I just don't, I'm having a hard time put, you know, making a place for God right now. Let me tell you, sir or ma'am, it'll be the worst mistake you make in your life. Be the worst mistake you make in your life. I don't have time to stand up here this morning and give the example and example. And I would not mention names, but of lives that we have seen that chose that. They didn't have time or a place for God. We could stand up here tonight and tell their stories. Their stories that are still being written without a resident God in their life. Oh, does he watch out for them? Absolutely. He loves us far more than what we've ever loved him. He still watches out for us, but he's not, he's not at home. He's not at home. Let me tell you, folks, it is not pretty, and the ripples in the water go all the way to the edge of the bank. Are you hearing me? I want to make a place. I don't want to give my eyes to slumber, myself to rest. You got afflictions in your life. I got afflictions in my life. David says, I got them in mine. But I must find a place for the Lord.
I must find a place for the Lord. I'm opening these altars today. This is my request. I know I've been strong today. And I may have made somebody mad. That has not been my purpose today. It's not been my purpose. But it's kind of, it, you know, it's kind of like with my kids. Sometimes we're so distracted by other things you can't get somebody's attention. My kids are like that sometimes. I say their name and that's not good enough. You know, say it three or four times. That don't work. There's sometimes, you know, I got to tap them on the shoulder, hit them on the shoulder, or stand right in front of them. Well, this morning, just consider what happened. I had to go beyond just calling our names. I'm tapping somebody on the shoulder today. I'm standing right in front of your face and saying, we need to make a place for God. We, we, so, Brother McGee, what if I come and I start, start, start feeling really, really bad and like, go home then. That lady over there has done it I don't know how many times. Yeah. Because it starts feeling better. Sister Jessup's been coming here. They're lately not feeling like it. There's something from the previous generation that needs to get in the DNA of the now generation. It's called a faithfulness. It's called a stick with it. It's called a drive. I really could be a big man. I feel like I'm just a meddler here today. Yeah, but Sister Jessup don't have the schedule I have. Well, you know, bless God, she probably don't. But you don't have the L she has either. And you don't have the number of years on her body that she has. You've heard it said before. Can I rehearse it one more time? Last time my grandma McGee was in service, she was laying on a pew in service. Cancer eating up her body. But she wanted to be in church. And she was laying on that pew. And as we was having service, off time, she'd raise that hand just like this. So come up here and tell me what your excuse is. Come up here and give me your laundry list of why not. Whenever I view stuff like that, everything else is just absolutely petty. Absolutely petty. What's the difference, Pastor Bishop? People wanted to make a place for God. That was life. That was life. These altars are open today. Some people won't come because you're probably mad at me. I'll accept that. I got big shoulders. This is the reason why God put me where I am. I can handle this with his help. But there's some of us that need to really do a soul search this morning. We really need to do a soul search today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.